Hi, I'm Charlie and I'm from 945 at Kirribilli. I'll be reading the Bible for us today. Our reading is from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas into our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands and as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Well, one of the first jobs I ever had was working for a charity, and for that charity, I was sent to do a number of shifts at the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival. If you're not familiar with that festival, it is Australia's largest festival of spirituality. Picture a giant auditorium lined with hundreds of stalls, and each stall offering a different experience. Each stall offering, offering a different opportunity to connect with the divine or with the auras of life or with each other or with your soul. And each stall offering a different path to well-being. 
to fulfillment. Spirituality is popular. Spirituality is diverse. There were so many opportunities on display, from Reiki to healing crystals, ear candles, seminars on how to be a witch. You could spend 20 minutes talking to your past life. That cost $40. You could taste natural herbs or healthy eating. So many different opportunities. Today, spirituality is like a supermarket aisle where there are so many different brands and you can try and see which one works for you. It might be yoga. Two million Australians practice it and it's a way to connect yourself with the energy and harmony of the divine. It might be mindfulness, very popular, taught now in many Australian schools and I actually think a great way to deal with things like anxiety and stress. Perhaps it's spending time in nature, in solitude, connecting yourself with something greater, with the cosmos. Maybe it's Tai Chi, meditation, martial arts, crystals. It could be painting, music, healing, cooking, or even just having an open mind, practicing gratitude, practicing empathy. There are so many different types of spiritualities on offer. It is a spiritual smorgasbord. And so chances are either you are spiritual yourself or you know someone else who identifies as a spiritual person. But is it enough? Is it enough? That's our question today that's been sent in. I'm a spiritual person, God. Is it enough? In a recent survey, 14% of Australians identify as spiritual but not religious. What will we say in answer to that question? Well, we're going to begin by thinking about what is spirituality? Because when we talk about spirituality, we're not talking about Christian spirituality. Now, of course, because there's hundreds of different spiritualities out there, we actually can't talk about just one of them in the time we have available. But let's really zoom out and be totally general and think, what are some of the things that describe spirituality today? The first thing, Spirituality is about connectedness, connectedness and experience. Recently, I was watching the movie Eat, Pray, Love. It's actually not a great movie. I hear the book is a lot better. It's a bestseller. And it's about Elizabeth, who has a great job. She's got a house. She's got a husband. But she has this sense that there is something more. She has this desire to connect with something bigger than herself, And so she quits her job, she divorces her husband, and she goes on a spiritual journey of self-discovery. She travels to Italy to try food. She travels to India to pray with a spiritual guru. She travels to Indonesia to experience balance and love. And I think in many ways we identify with Elizabeth, don't we? I think in many ways we all have this sense that there's got to be something more to life more than what we see, more than the material, more than our careers, more than our houses, more than our appearances. We want to experience something more than just the formal, but something that is profoundly experiential, that touches our souls. Think of those moments you're sitting on a mountain hill, a hill, and you're, you're looking out over the valley and you see the sun setting, you hear the birds tweeting, and you feel a sense of wonder. You feel small, like you're part of something bigger. You feel connected with something greater than yourself. 
Those are the moments where we feel like there's something more to life. And you know, science is good, but science does not tell us everything. We are more than molecules and atoms. Love and beauty, these things we experience, they've got to be more than just the neurological events in our brain. No, there's something more. And that's why spirituality is great, to raise these questions. Because in spirituality, it's a longing for experience with the ultimate. An experience of peace. An experience of hope. An experience of power. In spirituality, it's a desire for connection, connectedness with a force or with your consciousness or with the divine or even with the God within to find meaning, transcendence, and something greater. And we understand why people long for these things and why you listening to this might long for these things. In fact, the Bible talks about this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of humans. You cannot shackle the human heart in a world that is too small for it. Our longing for transcendence cannot be chained. And so that's the first thing that describes spirituality, a longing for connection with something greater. The second thing, spirituality is about well-being. It's about well-being. And by that I mean peace or hope or centeredness. One government website I was reading this week said that in spirituality, when you're connected with something greater, it brings emotional well-being, physical well-being, mental or sexual well-being. It promises peace, meaning, direction, perspective, reassurance. And aren't these great things? Isn't well-being what we long for for ourselves, for our loved ones, for humanity? They're great things. Now, most of the time, the spiritual teachers say you can't find these things in religion. They say religion is just about fear and judgmental, judgmentalism. It doesn't lead to well-being, but spirituality does. And so spiritual websites promise that if you discover your aura, it will change your life and assist in the healing process. That the healing power of sound can enhance your relationships. That hypnotherapy fulfills you emotionally. That meditation gives you stress relief. Now, can I say, I don't think spirituality explains why there is a lack of peace and well-being in the first place. I don't think spirituality gives an answer to why there is this brokenness in the world. The God of the Bible does. The God of the Bible talks about sin and how our world is broken, how we're no longer connected with the divine and with ourselves and with humanity, and the problem of the human heart. But I don't think spirituality gives an answer to those questions. It just proposes a solution, well-being. The third thing I think spirituality searches for is freedom. Freedom. One LA Times article I read this week says, with spirituality, you can pick and you can choose. You can try some tarot cards. You can dabble in astrology. 
If you like it, keep going. If you don't, you can stop. You're not committed to anything. You can mix and match. It's totally free. One of the things I love going on holidays is staying at places where there is a buffet. I love buffets because in a buffet, you don't have to pick just one meal. You can get your plate and load it up with heaps of different options. And after you've eaten a bit, if you really like the garlic bread, you can go back for more. If you don't like the potato salad, that's okay. If it's not working for you, just leave it on the plate. Someone's going to come and give you a new plate soon. You're not locked into anything. You can mix and match and try. That's spirituality. In the book, Eat, Pray, Love, the main character, she cherry picks some truths from Jesus and some truths from her spiritual guru. And even though they're contradictory, it doesn't really matter. And I think you can do this because for spirituality, the truth is within. The greatest spiritual teacher of our time, Oprah Winfrey, she talks about how it's not the truth, it's your truth. It's your truth. Because there are so many different truths. I think that's why in spirituality there's so many different wellness centers and so many different spiritual retreats and voices and organizations. In fact, one very famous spiritual teacher, Deepak Chopra, says religion teaches teachings that have been passed down through time. But spirituality, well, in spirituality, the truth evolves. The truth changes to accommodate your growth. And no one has a monopoly on the truth. But does that really work? Does that really work? Can there really be more than one truth? Can two different paths that are very different and maybe contradict both be right? Well, I don't think so. I don't think spirituality actually works on this point. Truth matters. Facts matter. Take the Holocaust. The Holocaust either happened or it didn't. Some try to argue that it didn't, but the facts are there, the evidence is there, it happened, and it matters. There's lots of truths that we say should apply to everyone universally. Racism is wrong, and it is wrong for everyone. And can I say, if you really want to respect people's religions and spiritualities and listen to them, you'll discover that many of their teachings are contradictory. They cannot both be right. And so rather than saying, pick your own truth, pick your own path, we need to say, truth matters. So what is true? What is true? Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that some spiritual practices don't work. I'm sure plenty of spiritual practices work. I'm sure that meditation brings stress relief or your spiritual practice might make you in touch with yourself or more empathetic. But what do we do when one spiritual practice says one thing and the other says something different? How do we know what's right? And much more importantly, does your spiritual practice answer the big questions of life? the questions that every one of us need to ask, questions that we build our life on. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? These are the questions for which we need an ultimate truth, 
one worth building our very lives on. Well, what if there was a path in life which offered connection and experience, which offered well-being, hope, purpose, which offered freedom, but also was true? What if we could have both? Well, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is walking through Athens. Athens at the time was the cultural centre of the world, a rich philosophical hub, a place of literature, of art, of liberty. And the people of Athens, it says in our reading, we just heard it read before, the people of Athens were very spiritual. They were into the latest ideas. They loved talking about the latest perspectives. And Paul walks around the city and he sees the shrines, he sees the temples, he sees the different spiritual practices. And he's distressed. He's distressed because he sees that they're living for things other than God, that they're looking for different things to bring them fulfillment other than God. And so what does he do? Well, he starts to talk about Jesus, Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. The people of Athens hear him and they're interested. They've never heard this teaching before. And they want to hear more. Tell us more about Jesus. And so Paul gets up in the Areopagus. And what does he say? Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul gets up and says, people of Athens, you're very religious. That word religious can also mean just superstitious. That They've even got a shrine to an unknown God. They're trying to cover all their bases. And Paul gets up and says, don't you see, you're missing the very thing you're searching for. You're just grasping in the shadows. And can I say to the spiritual people of Sydney in 2020, you're very spiritual, but you're missing the very thing you are longing for and searching for. And so Paul explains what they're looking for. Verse 24, verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul says, you are not God. God is God, the one true God who made you, who made the universe. He's bigger than the temple. He can't be constrained in your healing crystals, in your spiritual rituals or your mantras. He's bigger than that. He gives you every breath of your life. And then verse 27, what does he say? Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God wants to know you. He wants to connect with you. 
Stop grasping around in the darkness. God is looking and searching for you. And the way he wants to connect with you is through Jesus. Paul goes on to preach about Jesus. So I want to be a bit like Paul in Athens right now, and I want to show you why what you're looking for in spirituality is actually best found in the man Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why Jesus is so much better than spirituality. Firstly, Jesus meets our longing for connection and experience. See, when you follow Jesus, it is so much better than connecting with a force or with a nameless higher power or by being unified with some impersonal idea. No, no. When you follow Jesus, it is a relationship with a person. God is a God of relationships. Relationships are the center of reality. And so following Jesus is connectedness with Jesus in relationship. You know, this means that unlike with the abstract powers of spirituality, you have someone to be grateful to in the good times. And you have someone to question and look to for comfort in the times of sorrow. And this relationship, it's so much more than just intellectual. It's an experience. You're connecting with the divine. You have God's Holy Spirit in you, empowering you, transforming you, illuminating you, strengthening your inner being. It is an absolute lie that being a Christian is just cold and about rules. If you talk to the Christian who shared this video with you, ask them, how their experience of God touches their heart, touches their emotions, touches their soul. Jesus offers the connectedness that we are searching for. Secondly, Jesus offers freedom. Spiritual people say being spiritual is better than religion. And guess what? Jesus wasn't a fan of religion either. The early Christians, they shocked the world. People came up to them and said, okay, where's your temple? And they said, well, we don't need a temple. Jesus is our temple. Okay, well, where's your priest? Where's your guru? And they said, well, we don't need one. We've got Jesus. Okay, well, where's your sacrifice? We don't need one. We have Jesus. You see, Jesus is different to religion. Religion says, do this. Do that to make yourself right with God. Work to earn God's approval, to reach God. But with Christianity, it's about what Jesus has done. He has done it all. He has come to us. He has died for us. He's done everything we need to make ourselves right with him, forgiven and connected in relationship. He has done it all. It's called grace. Religion is about humans searching for God, but Jesus comes and searches for us. You know, the irony is that much spirituality today is actually very religious. It's filled with things you have to do. You have to do this ritual, repeat this mantra, get in this headspace, practice this meditation. 
in order to somehow achieve peace, achieve balance or fullness. It's about what you do. But when you follow Jesus, it is about what he has done. We're freed from the burden of having to achieve and having to earn. And we simply receive his grace and his gift of love. Well, number three, Jesus offers well-being, the well-being that we're searching for. Again, I'm not saying that spiritual practices like mindfulness and yoga and meditation doesn't bring some kind of well-being or peace, but Jesus offers lasting transformation. See, Jesus deals with our deepest spiritual problem, sin. He dies so we could be forgiven. What better peace to experience than peace with the creator of the universe? What better way to experience connectedness than connecting in with who you are and who you were made to be? What better way to experience power than having the power that rose Jesus from the dead Live in you. What better freedom than the one who says, I have come to set you free? Could there be any better wellness than the God who promises to give us perfect bodies? Could there be a better way to care for our globe than following the one who is going to restore our world? And what better satisfaction than Jesus, who says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and I will give you living water. Whoever drinks from me will never be thirsty again. So Jesus offers connection, a relationship with God. Jesus brings freedom, freedom from religion, Jesus brings the ultimate well-being, peace, hope, eternal joy. And lastly, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. We can have all those amazing things and it is also grounded in truth. You see, Jesus makes an outrageous claim. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I am a truth. He doesn't say there's multiple truths and he's just one of many. He does not give you that option. He is either true or not. He's either God or he's not. And the centerpiece of Christianity is that Jesus rose from the dead. Either he did rise and that changes everything or he didn't. And you've got to decide. I believe there's historical evidence. The first eyewitnesses, they died for seeing it and for proclaiming it. And if you've never looked into the evidence and studied it before, can I encourage you to do it? To read the gospel accounts as an adult. It matters. It's either true or it's not. And if it is true, he deserves to be listened to, he deserves to be followed. He says he is the way, the truth, 
the life. So would you come to Jesus? Would you come to Jesus? He's the one you're looking for. He's the one you're longing for. Paul in Athens called the people to repent, to say sorry for trying to be their own God and to trust the one true living God. Would you do that? Turn from trying to be your own spiritual master, trying to be the ultimate and worship the one who really is the ultimate. Come to Jesus. He's the path to a spiritual life. He is the truth. He died for us so we could have peace with God. He offers connection with who we were made to be and who we were made to serve. Lasting hope, eternal joy. I'll leave you with the words of Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias grew up in, with Eastern spirituality and then became a Christian. And he says this, To come to Jesus, you don't have to know a certain breathing exercise. You don't have to analyze your aura. Jesus is the Lord who makes reality beautiful and helps us find him, even in the darkest corners of the world. Not because of what we know or who we are or what we do or what we've accomplished, but because of who he is is.